Good morning, church. Can we stand on our feet and pray? We ask you this morning, Lord, to send your light, enlighten our hearts and our mind, so that you can do what is necessary to be done, so that we may be a living sacrifice to you. And the Lord was speaking to me. God is going to be doing something in every one of us, our life. And he's asking us to surrender our personal agendas and give ourselves unto him nothing but holy, completely. I don't know. I didn't plan to speak this. I thought it was something that the Lord was giving it to me. But the Lord is speaking to me right now. God is about to do surgeries in every one of us and implant something. It's nothing else but thirst and hunger that seeks after God. Nothing but God. Nothing but Him. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, let your living word along with your cross penetrate our heart and mind so that you may expose what doesn't belong to you and give us a new heart, a new mind that desires after you, that only entertains you, May your anointing teach us and reach the darkest side of us, the secret place of us. Let nothing be hidden before you. And we give you and we surrender to you today. Let nothing to be left out. Let us be consumed by your love. Let us be consumed by your fire. Baptize us by the fire, by your cross, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The topic that I give for today's sermon is when I was preparing the sermon, the Lord putting in my heart um, that he is our portion. Rather, the Lord told me to reverse it and said, uh, our portion or our inheritance is the Lord. Our inheritance is the Lord. Uh, I was meditating and thinking about uh, this issue for almost two weeks, and the Lord put me in my heart. Um, there is a word of God. I'm going to be reading from the word of God. Proverbs 16 verse 4. God created all things for himself. And the weak for the wicked days. The Lord created everything for himself. But the wicked for, for the weak, the evil, sorry, the evil for the wicked days days, or for the evil days. So, from the beginning, the Lord created us in his image and in his likeness so that we ultimately reflect his glory to the earth. Remember, God created man and put him in the Eden of garden and he gave him for him to be his reagent ruler on earth. Even if everything is meant to reflect God's image and God's glory, you see how God gave special attention to human beings while he created 
everything in his word, he created man in his image, in his likeness, in his hands. So that we may be his artifact, his handmaiden, specifically designed to glorify God. The most amazing thing that I've learned from the Lord is that God shall fulfill his purpose no matter what. No matter what. I'm so amazed. Look, in the very verse that I just read before, God created everything for himself. So there is nothing created on earth, including you and me, to live for ourselves. We're created for him. But the thing is, are we willingly, completely, with utter consecration and devotion, serve him? Is really the Lord our portion in practical terms? That is a question. But the thing is, he still does his purpose. There is so amazing that many of us are not conscious or aware that he has a purpose in every one of us to express his glory. You know, God has to create these billions of people because nobody can contain the glory of God one alone, all alone. So, the creation, the entire creation, couldn't reflect God to the degree that is assigned to us. So, look, Judah was doing all that evil on Jesus. The worst evil that you can think of. Yet he fulfilled the purpose of God. Joseph's brothers did everything they did to their brother. But they did according to the purpose of God. Somebody said, history is his story. If you are not willingly submitting to the glory of God, to God, he will overrule anyway. Don't waste your time. The thing is, it's better to be his instrument by simply, willingly, completely submitting to him than to be just simply a tool because a tool could be used and thrown. But an obedient believer, an obedient person is going to be rewarded for his obedience if he willingly gives his will and completely submit to him. The question is not in not want to please, please him. Of course we won't. But the thing is, can we? We don't want to be a tool like happens to Judah or other people who are not even aware of the existence of God. The thing is, are we willingly submitting to him? Man was designed and created in such a way not to desire anything else but God. I was asking the Lord the day before yesterday, why you are the greatest inheritance that we can think of. Other than a house, other than a car, other than having beautiful children, beautiful wife. But none of us, none of them are worthy of us compared to God. None of them. Literally none of them. None of them. No possession or position or relationship can compare with God. People have tried it for years. They couldn't find any satisfaction. You know? One day, I was just 25. Don't ask me my age now. You know, passing, I received Jesus Christ as my personal savior at the age of 16. And we, we went through in a lot of suffering. So. In pity stomach for three days, sometimes four days. So I passed through all, but after graduation, I was employed. I was having a job. One day, a holy 
dissatisfaction fall on me. I felt so empty. So empty. I couldn't tell. I kind of felt existential vacuum. You know, in psychology, existential vacuum means when somebody loses the meaning of his very existence or her very existence. It is in everybody's, by the way. If you exist, you look for meaning. So I was confused. And I asked her today of, and I wanted something that could give me direction to my life. And there, there was a friend of mine who actually uh, taught philosophy back then in the university. He gave me a book called Call by Osginus. And I found an amazing statement that's changing my life forever. It says, when there is a mismatch between your gift and your work, it constantly reminds you that you are a square page in a round hole. How does it fit? So, I finished the book in two days. And I decided from that time on to sleep four hours a day, four books in a month, to read one book per week. Because my English was so poor, I read The Economist and Newsweek for eight years running. Without stop that. You're not going to be asking me how many books that I read. But the one thing that I understood from that time on, I become purpose driven. You know. We tried everything in order to fill our life with so many things, but the vacuum is so big. You know. The greatest literary giant, Shakespeare, said, sometimes we look for something to the point of this only to discover that it was not our worthy of our pursuit. Because our pursuit still continues. Nothing is filling in. You know, I don't know if you know this person. He, he very often speaks on discipleship, Professor Dana Swillard. He was once asked how the Western prosperity is actually throwing away God from every sin. From every sin. And it is a Protestant ethic that actually brought prosperity for the Western world to be the way it is today. But that's Religion, that discipline, discipleship, who even actually brought about that work ethic in which the very capitalism society is based upon, is throwing God away and try to be replaced by something else. You know what is going on there? And he said, What can you call this? He said, When Religion brought prosperity. Prosperity kills religion. So, the mother is, I mean, the daughter kills the mother. That's exactly what's happening. This is not a message from poor people. This is a message from rich people in God. So, we need salvation. Once again, once again, God was looking for this willful obedience from his sentence. Are we, are we really in that project? You know? How much we try to please God? We're not in that position, many of us, because we have a lot of distractions in our life. Lots of distractions. Kids are distracting us. Our wife, our resource, our house, our car, our comfort, our ease, even our suffering. Distracting us from God. From he being 
our ultimate inheritance. You know, one day, Jesus just asked somebody to follow him. And he said, what? Let me bury my father first. Who is first? Who is first in your life? He didn't say no, rather first. Someone said, he also asked another. He said, come after me. And the person responded, let me pay farewell to my family first. Who is first in your life? We all look like great entertainers when you talk about gods other than the living God in Israelites' life. How about your gods? How about your kids, your husband, your wife, your job, your position, your wealth? These people didn't outrightly reject him. They rather, we have another priority that we need to take care of before we go with you. If you are saying that, you have God. You have something else. The Lord is not your portion. Something else is. What so amazed me when I study about Jesus' disciples, all of them were, all of them were having an employment. They were all employed. Not only that, they were on duty. Why he did that? Because he wanted to make sure that he was their priority, no matter what they were doing in that particular moment. How many of us answer assuredly, you are my first, even if he asks something that's so precious to us? That's why the Lord was speaking to us this morning that he needs an operation. Recently, I went to two serious surgeries. I was so amazed. I was getting an insight from the Lord. You know, I was having a half anesthesia. So I was literally dead down the west. And they did everything. You know, the, I mean, the physician was talking to me while they were doing the operation. And I said, oh, my goodness. I didn't hear anything. I have no connection with part of my body. You know what I said? Let me read this verse. Romans 12. I beseech you, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I have been asking God to give me his will, his purpose, over and over again. But the Lord told me, I don't trust you. What? I don't trust you. I was angry at God, by the way. Because I had not trusted enough to get his will and to do his will. Why? He told me, I only trust dead people. He can only do whatever he wants if you are dead. Dead to your will. Dead to your personal glory. Dead to your possession. I cannot believe you, he said. <laughs> to present your word. In the Old Testament, people used to sacrifice animals. In the New Testament, you sacrifice yourself. You are a living sacrifice. The input is you, nothing else. For him to do the operation, he should be on the altar, ready to be operated. But he he cannot do it without the cross. <laughs> now the cross is out of the church. Why? Because health and wealth gospel is 
on its time high. You know why? We're seeking after earthly things a lot because we think we can fill in our brokenness through them. I wish we could go to the Western world like the way we are and try to learn from them how much that stuff can fill in. You know, in the book of Psalm, chapter 71, you can, you can read it for your consumption, the entire chapter. It's an amazing one. There was a prophet, a singer, a choir leader called Asaf. By the way, the word Asaf in Aramaic means collector. Yeah. So he started to sing about the goodness of the Lord and how good he is for Israel. And all of a sudden, he faced a faced crisis. He was very angry at God because he was, you know, literally seeing how worldly people, people who do not have God, were prospering and having an easy life, which he didn't have, like we poor Pente people. You know, there is even a saying, right? As poor as a church rat. You know, there is no grain in the church. He's very angry, very mad, very mad at himself, at God, at the situations, because these people had an easy life. Funny to say that, they had even an easy days. Yes. He was very angry. You know, if he was in this very position, you imagine God is going to be, you know, in the transfer of wealth or with a kind of miracle to fill in his life so that he may get satisfied and fulfilled. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. Don't preach it again. <laughs> he wouldn't do that. He brought him to his temple and he showed him the fullness of God. Oh my God. You know, somebody was asking a crazy question some time back. He said, what would I remember about what happens to me when I meet God? Oh my God, when you meet God, you melt. He will fill your life in to the degree that you cannot think something else. You cannot think. We have a lot of preoccupations while we're living this world because it's not our portion. That's why God has some sort of department somewhere. You know, one of the departments. And I remember a story that I read years back. And there was a guy who actually, you know, making a living by renting a house. He had 10 classes. He must have been a rich person, right? So what happened was a devil was troubling him every day. But he gave for Jesus one of his rooms. And, but the devil was keep knocking every day. I mean, he couldn't believe the kind of trouble that he was having from the devil. After all, he invited, even gave a room for Jesus Christ. So he tried by giving him two, and still the devil kept coming. He gave him literally most of the rooms, and still the devil was able to come and knock the door and always bothering him. And Jesus, very polite, by the way, he never forces you. He only convicts you. Yeah. So he convicted him to give him his entire house. So you're not going to be in trouble, by the way. As long as I'm in charge, you'll have everything you want. Jesus said. So what happened? What happened was the devil came again like he used to. So this time around, 
it was not the person who was opening the door. It was Jesus Christ. He said, oh my God, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come here. I never thought this house changed honor. What is the difference? Jesus was there from the beginning. He was there from the beginning. What is so different now is complete surrender. Complete surrender. Complete surrender. So, our distractions are really many. Unless the Lord just deal with us like as was dealt by my physician to do everything that he wants. You know what? I wasn't even conscious even if he cut off my legs. But now we're struggling, you know. Remember, the first anesthetic doctor was God himself, by the way. When he was trying to make Eve, he anesthetized Adam to bring a living woman. Trust him, he will bring and deliver what he promised you to do. The thing is, you're not dead. You're not dead to your ambition. You're not dead to your will. Let me read a verse from First Timothy, chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of many is the root of all kind of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I will come back to this verse. Let me go back to where I started. And I'll come back to this verse. How did address a confusion of his crisis that us of our brother first? Let me take you back again. Verse 25. Chapter, sorry, chapter, Psalms, chapters 7, 3, verse 25. It says, Whom I have in heaven, after that revelation, but you. Remember, one of the consolation that we people have is that well, I'm going to be graduating this suffering one day and go to heaven because there is a house, a mansion prepared by God with an amazing engineering and with all kinds of minerals that you can think of. No. No. That is not the essence of it. Heaven minus God is equal to hell. Do you agree with me? So don't get consoled by that. What do I have in heaven? He started. Because probably he was thinking and meditating. Oh my God. Even if I don't have the comfort and the ease that these guys are having, one day I'm going to be having them all. No, 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 God said. No, you're having me. No, these things. You're having me. You know, one thing I'll say again. Why in the world that people are so crazy to have earthly possession and here you are saying us, no, no, I'm your portion. Because our life, these things are not worthy of our life compared to God. He is much, much. You can use any superlative you can think of. Dearer, you name it. And then he continues. There is 
none upon the earth. He stopped desiring what he was angry about. <laughs> he didn't have a call. He didn't have it. But anyway, he seemed to be angry with his own desire because his very desires were distorted. Distorted. So, and there is none upon the earth I desire beside you. <laughs> so, the problem was not the wells. The problem was not with those people who was enjoying all kind of, you know, ease and comfort. The problem was with the desire. What are you desiring? If you want to check where you are standing with God, check your desire. What are you desiring? My flesh and my heart may fail. Yeah, he proved it, right? But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. <laughs> and the thing is, we all desire for God to be our portion. We all want this to happen. But the thing is, what about our distractions? And let me take you to the very verse that I was reading a moment before. First Timothy verse chapter, chapter 6, verse 10. It says, for the love of many is the root of all kind of evil. Because one of our distractions is our possession. It doesn't say many is the root of evil. What does it say? The love of many. The desire that you have. The root of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their Greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I'm so interested in greediness. You know, what is greed? Greed is a distorted need. You may have the right need for something, but when you reorder it, you're going to the greed. The thing is, greed doesn't have a satisfaction. Why? Why? Greed is like drinking from a, church, uh, a salty water. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. So you cannot fill in. You are vacuum forever. One day, I was just reading this part of the scripture that actually changed my life. It's the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah 55, <laughs> verse 1. Oh, everyone, who just come to the watchers, and you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk, without money, without price. It has a funny contradiction. You know what? He says, come and drink those who do not have money. Very good. But at the same time, he said, buy. If there is buying, what is so free? If it is free, what is the need to buy it? Come on, somebody. God is so expensive, nobody can afford There is no earthly currency that can fill it in. So what? He's for, for free. Let me, let me show you another way. For example, you eat somewhere whereby the foods and the deliveries are so expensive. So expensive. And then you eat. After you eat, while you were ready to pay, you're being told it's been paid. It is free for you, but it doesn't mean that it's cheap. It is good to have money, 
as long as it doesn't make you lose what money can't buy. Yes. So what happened is, with these rich people, rich people without God, surrendering not their life on God, they pierced with themselves with many pain and with greediness. So, what's the kind of advice that Timothy was trying to give them? Verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present age not to be haughty, not to trust uncertain riches. Not to trust. Not to trust riches. But in living God, who give us richly all things to enjoy, let them do good that they be rich in good works. By the way, there is dimension for richness. Dimension for wealth. Richness in doing good things. Ready to give. Willing to share. Storing up for themselves a good foundation with a time to come and that they may lay hold on an eternal life. One day, I was attending a church like this and someone was prophesying. And he told us, he, he brought us an amazing message, and he prophesied. And I see an overdrafted account in your name, everyone, he said. In heaven. Why? Everybody was storing here. How many of you have a rich account over there? Yes. The word mamun, which Jesus used, he was not demonizing the money. He was demonizing the way we use, we use the money. Mamun means to trust on something. He actually challenges them to use the temporal for the eternal. By just that, you know, by just bringing the example of that shiri sword. How should we argue for God? Are we just investing on the, on the temporal? While what matters is uh, the eternal. If you're just putting your money in the bank here, I think you're poor. A broken one, honestly. If you're not making friends that you're going to be meeting them in the coming kingdom, you're poor. Honestly poor. What is so amazing about this word is that, look, by sharing to the poor, he was not doing a lot of favor for the poor. He was doing favor for himself because God was helping him so that he may rely on God, not on his riches. Yes, that was the very quest that Even a football has an added time. What the hell is going on? <laughs> so, if you have to cure ourselves and allow God to do his surgery, what should we do? First, we have to love God. We do mean by thinking that. Look, Jesus taught us, you know, Thanks to that Pharisee who actually made Jesus Christ to make an amazing revelation in which we can draw from. What is the greatest commandment? The Pharisee asked it. And he responded, What? The greatest commandment is to love, the first and the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your power. It says what? With all. So if God wants to prove how much you love him, he always looks for the space that you left for something else other than God himself. 
Yes. He looked for that. He said what? With all your heart. Okay. If we give our all to God, how can we love our neighbor? Even extend it to our enemy, to our wife, to our children. The thing is, when you are really consecrated to God, completely devoted to him, you do not do anything for your sake. You don't do anything for the sake of other people. You love, even if you love your neighbor, even your enemy, for God's sake. That is a love that you're supposed to be loving others with. That's how he sees it. So when we say first, he says first and greatest. First shows order, rank. It is the first. No other priority before him. He said when it is the greatest, in it is a comparison term, which means it is the highest, the worthiest. So whenever you are in conflict, to choose between God and any other thing or any other person who comes first. What is the greatest? Of God. Of God. You know, we have a lot of trouble like Jesus' disciples had actually. Why? They were in trouble too, just like any of us because they were struggling between heavenly treasure and worldly good. They were having a lot of trouble. They're not any different of us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Look, let me start it from 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where most Moths and worse destroy where thieves break in and steal. But lay up treasures, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Let me skip and go to verse 21. For wherever your treasure is, where your heart be also. So, whenever God wants to locate your heart, he first sees where you put your treasure. Yes. Where do you put it? Awash bank? Ne bank? Where is your transaction happening? City bank? Where do you put it? <laughs> so, you know, some people are so troubled by his message. You know, he has some penetrating facts and truths that you can't escape from, by the way. So, these people were really troubled and say, well, somehow my left heart says I should, you know, have this for me and this for God. And God has to address this. And he said, um, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, there, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in you is in darkness. How great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will be hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despite the other. You cannot serve God and Mamun. In fact, he was saying, look, the trouble we have is we got two eyes and we think we can see in two different or opposite direction at the same time. Is there any genius who can do that? That's what you're trying to do, Jesus said. So, put your heart on the treasure of heaven. Put it completely. Do not put it here. So it shows where your heart is. And it shows how much you love me. Yes. It shows how much you love me. So we have gods, we have idols. What is idolatry? Idolatry is whenever we put something ahead of God, anything or anyone, or 
when we put our trust, our love, our energy, our service, our worship on something other than God. This idolatry. Who doesn't have them? Who doesn't have them? It's not me to examine. It is the Holy Spirit who does that. He is a surgeon now. I'm guilty of this sin, by the way. I'm guilty of this sin. You know, you know, there is the rich man who actually was approaching Jesus to prove how righteous he was. And he said, Lord, what can I do to be good or to get eternal life? He said, well, you know, all the commanders, obey your parents, do this, do that. I did all of them. Can I get A? No, you don't. Why? You have another God that you are worshiping in your heart. And what is that? Your position. So what can I do? Let me to have a surgery with you. Let me to do that. Can I have that? And the Bible says, oh my God. He was shocked, the Bible says. One, one translation says, he was shocked and grieved because he has many possessions. The thing was, God, Jesus was not interested in his resource. Trust me. Except that he was possessed by his possession. I was praying last night, and the Lord told me, you know, many Christians are not suffering from demon possession. They are suffering from possession's possession. Yes. Let me close my ceremony like this. Look. If anyone comes to me and does not, his does not hate his father, his mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, his own life. Oh my goodness. His own life? This is not right. <laughs> when he asks us, our soul, our life, he's not looking for annihilation. He's looking for, we get lost and his manifestation may be fully and complete. Let me give you an insight on this. You know, I like the prayer. Um, it could be prayer. It could be saying, though, uh, what John the Baptist did. I must increase. He must decrease. He doesn't increase in size because he's the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. The thing is, he is so suffocated by our earthly desires, and we are supported by so many things. He doesn't have room to express himself. To fully manifest himself in his glory. So he doesn't have space. Because we have given him that little room to say I'm a Christian. To say I'm a Christian. So not only, you know, please don't look for rich people because you think it is only the problem with rich people. It's also the problem with materially poor people. Because most of us are covetous. Covetousness is the sin of poor people. Yes. So, here he is bringing us into our relationship. I'm just closing. Yes. If you don't hate, it is an idiom. It's not uh, a kind of direct translation. Rather, he says, who doesn't love me more than his father his mother. You know, um, an amazing surgery that you can experience is with Abraham. Abraham was praying for 25 years for him to have a son. He's been praying and looking for God and probably looking for prophets as we read in the scriptures. And he gave him a son. A 25 years prayer has been answered. And there was a lot of celebration because, you know, he was matured and so and so on. And then the Lord saw that Isaac became his God. So he has to do a surgery. So please give me 
the only son that you have, the son that you love most. Huh? If you were and if I were here, I would have gone to all prophets in the city. I would have even buy a ticket to get across the world because this is a false prophecy. How can God give me son and want to take it away? Yes, he will take it away to preserve it in the right way. Because he is a good preserver. So, what he did was what? He took him to the mountain of uh, Moria, where God's temple was built, by the way. So, I mean, the boy asked, I was trying to draw to his position if I was asked my son Ephraim to be done like that. Oh my goodness. Let it not be, I say. Let it not be, because I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Don't ask me now, anyways. But I have to go there anyway. So, here is the wood, here is the fire, here is the altar. Where is the lamp of a burnt offering? God will prepare, don't worry. I'm praying, he said. Finally, when he was trying to put his hand on him, and the Lord come from heaven and ask him, don't do that. Why? Was God kind of dramatizing things out? No, no, no. What he wanted to kill was not the son. What he wanted to kill was Abraham. He did the surgery. That was over. You can wake up from your anesthesia and praise the Lord because I disposed you. I got the right place I need to have in your heart. Is God like this in your heart? Let us pray.